Thank you so much. Great to be together. Let's welcome all those online too. Great to have you joining us from your homes. So we're continuing this uh, whole series on Does God Care? Asking particularly right now in this season, this critical question, does God care about our finances? Now, when I first became a Christian, my answer would, would have been, not sure really, <laughs> not sure God's that interested in finances, let alone my fin- finances. Isn't he interested in things like prayer and the Holy Spirit and you know, being born again, eternal salvation? And then I felt the Lord really started speaking to me about how much he really was interested in finances and how I managed the resources he'd given me. And so I decided to do um, a tour, as it were, right through the whole Bible. I started in Genesis in uh, the Garden of Eden, and I started thinking, oh, hold on a minute, this is not just a spiritual world, this is a material universe, and therefore God must be interested in material things. And I went all the way through the Bible, was just struck by how much Jesus taught on the whole subject of money, in fact, many of his parables about what we do with money, and I thought, whoa, I, and I started getting almost like a whole revolution in my thinking. And out of that time, a couple of things um, became strong convictions, convictions that I've got even more strongly today. The first was this. Uh, the first revelation out of that study was that God is a good God. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. That he's, he's a father and therefore he really does care about our finances. We heard last week, you know, he's a God who knows He's a God who cares, and he's a God who's able to supply our needs because he's a good father. And by the way, he's not short. He's not limited. He's an all-sufficient God. And so I came here with a sense of confidence in God's care. The second thing, and, and in that, almost just sense the Lord speaking to me about how he wants, as it were, for us as his people to take us out if we're in a ditch of fear, of lack, or the curse of poverty. He wants to take us out of that ditch so that we might start enjoying a sense of peace and financial freedom. But second conviction was this, that because he's a good father, he doesn't want, as it were, just to free us from fear of lack, but also he wants to help us not to fall into the other ditch, which often we can fall into, or maybe we're in, which is the ditch of materialism or covetousness or greed, and we, as it were, twist the gospel into a kind of a false uh, message of prosperity where somehow we put all our hope in wealth and riches and all our security there. How many know God's a good God? He wants us out of the ditch of poverty, out of the ditch of materialism, and he's got a higher goal than just our needs being met, although that's crucial. His higher goal for yours and my life is not just that we be blessed. How many up, up for God blessing you? His goal, this is, I believe, central to the whole uh, theme of the Scriptures, is this. God's desire for you and me and for us at Kingsgate, may I say particularly at this time, is that we raise our gaze and realize God's goal for us is this. He wants us to be blessed to be a blessing. Yeah. He wants us to work, be those who don't just... And focus on our need, but we say, yes, Lord, we're happy to receive, but we want to be a channel of your blessing to others. Let me just illustrate. Um, I have had the privilege of being to, uh, to Israel three times. And um, 
I've swum in both the Dead Sea and the Red Sea. <laughs> now, very different experiences. The Dead Sea, you may know, it's dead because there's nothing living in there. It's filled with salt and chemicals, so much so that you, you, you're literally buoyant. You can lie back on it, read a newspaper. On one occasion, I actually had a cut and went in, and it stung like crazy because there's so much kind of these chemicals around. But the point is, it's a Dead Sea. But then I've also had the privilege of swimming in the Red Sea, and it's so different. It's amazing. You go in there, and it's got you, lit the, you know it's fresh, and you've got this in, these incredible fish all around. What's the difference between the two? Both the Red Sea and the Dead Sea have an inflow. They have a source, as it were, going into them. The difference is the Dead Sea has nothing flowing out. That's why it's dead. How many don't want to be dead and just, as it were, shut in on your own kind of world? God has a better goal for you than that. He wants an inflow and he wants an outflow. He wants you to be blessed, to be a blessing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, with that as a foundation, there's lots we could say. But I want to imagine us, wherever we are right now, maybe you're really new to this. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're just checking out church or, you know, the whole idea of, you know, has God got a plan for my finances or maybe you've been on the road for years. I want to imagine this like a journey, being blessed to be a blessing. Uh, we're all at different stages. And I want to talk, as it were, at a starting point and then the journey itself. And I want to spend a little bit of time on the starting point because we can get this right. It's almost like <laughs> the, the actual journey then becomes so much easier. The starting point is this. This is the starting place. We need to bring to God the first and the best, and he will bless the rest. Let me illustrate. Jesus taught by parables. So this is the parable of the pizzas. So I have here two pizzas. You've got a small pizza and you've got a larger pizza. Do you know apparently there is also a monster 24-inch pizza? Now, these pizzas, I just want to take as a parable. These represent... Um, the portion that you and I have at a particular time. Right now, you may say, my portion is really small. You may say, no, actually, my part portion is larger. You may say, actually, um, I, I, I've got a monster-sized portion. But what we need to realize, and we heard it last week, is that the key is to recognize that in any given season in our lives, and sometimes it gets larger, sometimes it can seem like it gets smaller, is that the first thing we need to do is we need to have a sense of peace and contentment. Rather than wishing we were somewhere else, we have to um, manage what, and here's the key principle, what God has ultimately given to us. You see, God ultimately is the creator. He's the source. He's the provider. Yes, we work. Yes, we earned it. But at the end of the day, he's given us our lives, our breath, our skills, our talents. So we could say everything comes from the Lord. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what size pizza we've got, we need to recognize it all ultimately comes through God. Now that changes everything. You see, part of the reason we get so much fear or so much bondage, we fall into these ditches because we think actually it's mine, precious, <laughs> as we heard. <laughs> you know, we're holding on to it. But actually, no, no, it's not mine, it's his. He's the owner, I am to be his steward. And suddenly all the pressure just begins Whew, thank you, Lord. It's not all about me. I don't have to do all this all on, all on my own. You're the one who has not just given it to me, but because you're my Father and you give me your Spirit, you want to show me how to, as it were, manage or, or um, exercise responsibility over what you've given to me. And it starts with um, a, a, for this principle of giving God the first and the best. Now, firstly, it all comes from Him. 
But there's a biblical principle that if you like, the starting place of acknowledging that is actually, I take the first slice. By the way, both these pizzas are nicely cut into 10 slices. So some of you know what's coming. So the first slice I take and I say, Lord, it all comes from you, but because I love you and I'm grateful for all that you've done, I return the first slice and I bring it back as an act of worship to you. And God says, amazing. So glad that we're in this together. I want to now pour my covering over you and put my blessing over you and my protection. From now on, I want to bless the 90% or the nine slices so that these will go far further than if you had holding on to all the 10. Amen? That's the principle there. Give God the first and the best and he will bless the rest. Same again. You've got a larger one. <laughs> Same principle. First act of faith. I return the first portion. It, it may look bigger, but it's the same proportion. I give it back as an act of worship. God says, amazing. Let's go on the journey together. I want to bless you to be a blessing. Now, I started tithing when I was a student. Back sometime, way back in the last century, a long, long time ago. And um, ever since then, you know, when we got married, we continued tithing. So what I want to do, for, for some, this is just a reminder. But even if you are tithing, can I say, the reason I want to share this is because sometimes we can just do it. And the standing order goes out. It's a great way to do it. We can kind of forget. I believe in this time, we need to exercise faith on God's principles. So I want to give five biblical reasons why we tithe. Um, and um, there are many more, but I just want to give five. And I want to use the acrostic T I. <laughs> T-H-E, just hopefully so that you can remember it. First reason why we tithe, the T is we give thanks to God. This is the starting place of the tithe. It's the, actually the origin of tithing. If you go back to the Bible, and the first time that the word the tithe, which by the way literally means the tenth, comes up, it's in Genesis 14. So we moved on uh, several <laughs> generations after the fall, and there's this guy called Abram. God calls him and says, and this is where the promise comes, I want to bless you and make you a blessing. And then there comes a time, Abram goes on a walk with God, he starts walking with God, he wins a great battle because of God's, as it were, hand upon him. And then out of the blue, this guy called Melchizedek turns up. Now he's a mysterious kind of character. He's, it says he's a king, but he's also the priest of God Most High. And then we hear this uh, the, this little phrase, it says, then Abraham gave him a tithe or a tenth of everything. Now, it's really important to realize that the origin here of tithing is not, as some people mistakenly say, it's not something that's under the law. The origin of tithing was with Abram. If you know them at Abram, he became Abraham. He's upheld in the New Testament as, if you like, our leader in the whole realm of faith. Aren't you glad that we're not under the law? We are those who are saved by grace through faith. We're people of faith, amen? And so it's important that if we talk about tithing, we don't put it, as it were, in the wrong dispensation for us as Christians. We go back and we look at Abraham. And it says about Abraham, it says um, that we are those, Romans 4, how many agree that Romans is in the New Testament? Romans 4 verse 12 says, then we are those who are to follow in the footsteps of the faith, that is faith there, that our father Abraham had. There's lots that Abraham did. 
But one of the things he does is he returns the first and the best to God. Um, and then if you look again in the, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, would you agree that Hebrews is in the New Testament? The writer of the Hebrews spends uh, 10 verses recounting the story of Abram tithing to Melchizedek. And he does so as part of a broader argument, which is basically that, uh, that Melchizedek and his priesthood is superior to the priesthood of, um, under the law. Now, and he goes on to say that and Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. Can I say, if we're going to tithe, we have a better covenant and better promises. We're not tithing in an Old Testament system. Ultimately, we're tithing to Jesus, the Son of God. It's, it's a different deal. Same principle, but it's now reconstituted in a new covenant way. So that's the, that's the first thing we do. When we tithe, we tithe by faith as a way of giving thanks to God. Say, thank you, Lord. It all comes from you, but as an act of worship, I give this to you. The second thing, the, the I, is as we tithe, we get the privilege of doing this, of investing. We invest, say invest. We invest in the house of God. Now, you see, if you go back to this, if without the tithe, our natural tendency when we think of money, we think of it as ours, not his. Do you agree with that? I still have to remind myself. It's not my money, it's his money. And also, our tendency is, is to consume it all ourselves. Not literally eat it, but spend it on our own stuff. But something about the tithe, it means there's a discipline every single month, every time I have a paycheck, every time we get an inheritance or a gift or a surprise, anything. It's a reminder, it all comes to you. And I take a portion and I invest it into the future. You see, I can't, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with stuff, but can you, you can't take your stuff with you into eternity, but you can send it on ahead of you. You can invest it in the shape of investing in the work of God that other people's lives might be transformed. I mean, how amazing is that? What an incredible use of this one portion. Now, if we go back then to the story, Abraham starts tithing. Um, two generations later, interestingly, it's almost like passed down. One of the best things you can do is teach your children and your grandchildren about this principle. Um, start with their pocket money. That's what we did. Um, a guy called Jacob starts tithing. And then fast forward, and we find that the tithe is then under the law. It's placed in the law. And by that time, it's, uh, there's a revelation that the tithe is a set-aside holy portion. It, has, it belongs to God. Now, the purpose of the tithe primarily was to be given by the other tribes to help those who are dedicated to work in the house of God, um, the, the, as it were, the Levites and the priests. Problem was, by the end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, there's clearly a problem going on. It's clear that the Old Testament people of God had backslidden. And so God comes to them and he basically challenges them. And he says, you know, you've departed from me. And there's a dialogue that goes on in Malachi 3. And they say, how have we departed from you? And he says, you've been robbing me. And they say, how have we been robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. So what's, God, what's God's answer? He gives them a, as it were, a command and a promise. He says, bring 
the whole tithe, in other words, the, the full tenth, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Notice where the tithe was to go. It wasn't for the Israelites to decide where the tithe was to go. God told them where to give it. Firstly, he told them to give it into the storehouse and then almost by repetition, he, he makes clear that there may be food in my house. House, storehouse, it was the temple. It was the place of worship. Now, fast forward into the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. It talks about the house of God or the household of God, which is the what? The church of the living God. So question is, in the New Testament, if we're not under law, we're under grace, we're still to uh, follow in the footsteps of Abraham, where is the tithe to go? The tithe is to go into the house of God, which is the church of the living God. It's the local church where we get fed, where we worship, where we get built up. Now the amazing thing when we do that is that we take a portion of what God's given us, we invest it into the house where he's placed us in order that we may grow spiritually. How kind is God? that the body of Christ might be built up, the lost people might be saved, and if you're a part of Kingsgate, through our mission fund, we can bless the poor, we can serve community action, we can do missions around the world, we can help other churches. I mean, what an amazing deal. With one-tenth, we can invest in the work of God. So uh, it's to give thanks. It's, um, secondly, it's to invest. And then third is the, the, the T, is we get an opportunity as we do this, and this is where I'm sure many of us are, is to put our trust, say trust, trust in the faithfulness of God. You see, God knew, as, as, as amazing this is, he knew it would be a, 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 a test for us. And so he says this, I want you to test me. God says, test me in this. Because God knew that mentally, if we look at it just logically, we'd have problem with reckoning how can it be better off if we give a tenth to God if I've only got 90. God says, I want you to see that I'm an abundant God. I can do things better and different than you can on your own. But it's a test nonetheless. Now, many of us who have tithed at some point came to a place of, okay, let's do it. Now, for me, the decision to tithe as a student wasn't a difficult one. Probably because I didn't have a lot of money. Um, but, but actually, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to start tithing when we started getting married. But then, you know, we, we were tithing, and because of our circumstance, we had very little margin. We moved to Peterborough, um, time of a huge financial hike. Talk about a cost of living crisis. Um, we, we bought the a house that was probably about the second cheapest house in the whole of the city. It was a, it was a bit of a mess. But it was really on the edge of what we could afford. The interest rates, get ready for this, were 10%. And so we set out on one pretty low, low income and we, we started tithing and then the Lord said, um, I want you to tithe on your gross income. I said, say that again. <laughs> now for those of you who don't understand that, it means we, I want you to tithe before tax. I want you to put me first in everything. So we thought, okay, we'll do it. And... Um, I can honestly say, as I look back, from that moment on, it was like the windows of heaven opened over us. And sure, we've had, I'm not saying it's like a slot machine econom economics, but there's something about the fact that as we did this, it was like God's blessing came over our lives. And we've had times when it's been tighter, we've had times of need, we've had times of plenty. But I look back, uh, we would say we would never go back because we trust in the faithfulness of God. And I know, and that, that's just so important, I believe, at this time. So... 
Then, then, then we come to the H. Fourth reason we tithe is we do it to honor, <laughs> to honor Jesus, the Son of God. This is so important. You see, again, because people, one of the main objections people say was, well, you know, tithing, well, it's, you know, it's Old, Old Testament, it's Old Covenant. Well, we've already seen that Abraham is an example to the New Testament believers. We've already seen that Hebrews picks up on it. But for me, the clincher is, the, is what Jesus himself talks about tithing. There's, a, an exam, there's an example of this in both Matthew and Luke. Would you agree that Matthew and Luke are in the New Testament? So in the Gospels, and at first glance, it looks like Jesus, as it were, criticizing the Pharisees for tithing. Let, let's read very, it's a really important passage. You see, the Pharisees were tithing right down to, as it were, um, the, a tenth of spices and seeds. They were so diligent in doing uh, the, the law of God. And Jesus uh, uh, starts by uh, rebuking them. In, and he, but the, notice why, how he rebukes them. He says, you've neglected the more important matters. Say more important matters. The more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And what Jesus is saying is, can I say that to all of us, this is not, tithing is not the most important part of the gospel. And certainly for those of us who are tithing, it's important we don't slip back by almost without um, just noticing it into a kind of a tick box. We, we earn credits with God, but we, we may tithe, but we're not generous in our whole life and lifestyle. Amen. But notice what Jesus then goes on to say. See, if Jesus didn't want us to tithe as Christians because tithing's, quote, under the law, he had a golden opportunity to tell us right here. But he doesn't do that. He says to the Pharisees, it's the word of God, it's in the Gospels, he said, you should have practiced the latter, i.e., justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former. Now, if Jesus says that we shouldn't neglect tithing, and I'm under the New Testament, if anything, the New Testament is a higher principle than the old, why on earth would I go below the tithe if I'm a New Testament Christian? It's a classic case, as we saw in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, of Jesus not, as it were, abolishing the moral law, not undermining things like the tithe, but upgrading it to a broader lifestyle on heart attitude of generosity. I love um, what Jack Hayford says, wonderful little book on the key to ev everything. He summarizes this. By the affirmation of Jesus our Lord himself, tithing is thereby made a timeless practice as important to New Testament believers as to old. And so for me, that just settles it. I am a follower of Jesus, and therefore, the, the first thing I want to do is I want to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, as we do that, we have the final letter, which is the E. When we do this, here's, here's the promise. We will enjoy the provision and the protection of God. If we go back to Malachi chapter 3, there are two outstanding promises. I want to encourage you. Uh, if you're stepping out and tithing, as you, some of you are going to start tithing. Some of you have been tithing a long time. Get a hold of these promises and speak them over your life. That's what we did right in those early days. We didn't just tithe. We exercised our faith in the Word of God. The first promise is this. I love this. It's a promise of abundant provision. How many think right now you could do with that promise being manifest in your life? And he says this. I love the language. He says, and see, 
test me in this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not throw open the floodgates or the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to store it. Notice there's a picture of abundance. Now I believe that picture of the windows of heaven, it definitely includes material provision because that's what he's talking about. But my experience, and I believe that the broader thing of Scripture, when we honour God with our money, guess what? He doesn't just bless us with money. He blesses us with an open heaven of his spirit, of his presence, a sense of his favour over our lives. And that's why, you know, I believe it's so important. I believe something happens over a corporate house as people honour this. Something happens over a whole church when a whole bunch of people say, we're going to put God first place in this life. And then he goes on, and then he gives them a second promise, a promise of provision. The second promise is a promise of supernatural protection. Say protection. And he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I'm going to stop stuff, as it were, um, nibbling away at your stuff so that um, you can experience supernatural protection. How many know, perhaps more than ever, we need to claim that promise in the season we're in. We're going to rebuke the devourer for his, for, um, God's going to rebuke the devourer. Um, and again, I love what Jack Hayford says, summarizing this whole thing. He says, I don't believe for one minute the tithing buys God's blessing. But I do believe that it opens a window of release for God to bless continually and mightily. Five biblical reasons why we tithe. Now, that is not the end of the journey, that's just the start. And it's so important that we realize that and that we move on and we go, this is God's will for all his people, that we go on a journey of stewardship and generosity. See if it, back to the pizzas you see, if it all comes from God, how many think God might be bothered about the nine slices as well as the one slice? Why? Because all the slices come from God. The whole pizza comes from God. Everything that we have is ultimately His. So it's important we don't sort of get, get into, fall into a trap of thinking, yes, I tithe. I'm doing my bit you know, my bit. No, no, that's not what it's about. We are to manage or steward wisely everything God's given us. He's as interested in the 90% or the nine slices in the one slice because it all comes from him. So in this season, the first thing we need to do is we need to exercise wisdom. And, you know, for some of you, we've heard earlier on, and, you know, we want to do all we can. If you're in crisis right now, it would be our privilege to try and help you through signposting, through immediate help. Come and get help. Don't be embarrassed about it. We want to do all we can to help you. But for perhaps the majority of us, it's a question in this season of going back and maybe just looking again at our finances. You know, we heard a bit of that last week. Let's become wise in using what God has given us. You know, as in the run-up to Christmas, let's, let's just not get caught in overspending. You know, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Don't buy on impulse. You know, you know get a budget. <laughs> be aware of what's happening. Don't bury your head like an ostrich in the sand. We've got to be wise. How many know that God is a, is, is a, is a spirit, but he's also given us common sense? And sometimes we need help, others to help us on that journey. That's why we've got things like the financial freedom course or the money management course. Please check those out. And the good thing, you see, as we start becoming wise, we don't have this size pizza 
and try and live like we got this size in this season. We, we manage what we have. The good thing is, what starts happening is we start getting margin. I love that word. Let's say margin. It means we're not always kind of just up against it. We know what that feels like. And as we get margin, it helps us because, you know, every crisis isn't a crisis. If the boiler breaks down, we've got some money. But also we can begin to maybe make investments into the long term. But it's important that that's critical. But we mustn't stop there because the Bible doesn't stop there. Let me go back again to these pizzas, you see. If I am somebody who um, has a small portion right now, if I give the tithe, or if you give the tithe right now, for some of you just to give 10% to the Lord, that is hugely sacrificial, and that is a major step of faith. I want to say if that's you right now, you know, well done. Well done. Keep on going. God bless you for that act of faith. But I just want to encourage you, if you can possibly, just think about maybe even just a little bit. Look for somebody in need. Jim, come here. How many like a little bit of my pizza? There, a couple of little crumbs. And Carmel, I want to give you a slightly bigger bit because I'm now my face's growing now. I'm going to give you a little bit, bit of salami there as well. So I'm feeling really generous. That's not a lot, but, but I'm, I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm, I'm giving beyond. But the whole point about the New Testament is it's not so much focusing just on the tenth. It's talking here, Paul uses a phrase, give in proportion to your income. So, would you agree? This portion and this, they are both tithe, they're a tenth. But look what's left over. This person doesn't have much has less left over. This person has quite a lot of pizza. And if you're somebody who's got a monster pizza, I mean, at the end of the day, how many are up for God giving you a monster portion? My question to you is, how much pizza can a man eat? I mean, come on. We just sometimes need to take a rain check on our lifestyle and think, God, it, the goal of the Christian life is not to become ever more wealthy. The goal of the Christian life is to become ever more generous, to be blessed, to be a greater blessing. And so this, this kind of, this is important. Once we get the tithes through, this is really where, where the fun starts. Where we start realizing, yes, Lord, I'm going to let you bless me more in order, yes, that I can steward wisely. Not so I can, as it were, ever increase my lifestyle more and more lavishly. Even if I have, have the margin and have the ability, I'm not just going to spend it. I'm going to pray about it because maybe the extra isn't for me or my family. It's for somebody else's family. And so the question is, well, where, what does that look like? Well, the Old Testament talks right there about above giving. It talks about offerings. Sometimes they gave free will offerings into special projects like the building, the temple, or the tabernacle. Can I just say, we have an incredible uh, hundreds of people who've given over and above the tithe over many years to help build this building, help do all kinds of other projects. Why don't we just put our hands together for people who've been so generous <laughs> above the tithe. But if we look into the New Testament, there seems to be a particular emphasis on the church becoming a community of generosity and that those who have need uh, being helped by those who have more. There's a sense of they, they, they had a huge sense of being together as the people of God. Now, if I look back right, as it were, the roots of Kingsgate, you know, uh, 30, 33 years ago, um, as we kind of started out, 34 and a half years ago, actually, as we started out, you know, we were tithing, um, 
we, we were giving away what we could, but we were incredibly um, stretched. We often would have to, li- I'm, no exaggeration, sometimes we'd actually have to pray for extra money coming just to pay basic bills. On, on one occasion, literally just to, to, pl- to put food or literally to buy milk for our daughter at the time. We were determined not to get in debt. We were determined to honor God. And the amazing thing is we were recipients of incredible generosity through other Kingsgate members at the time. Church was small, and, and we, we would get um, literally checks or cash some, through the door, sometimes the exact amount that we needed. Other, other, all kinds of different provision. And so we thought, well, you know, as, as quickly as possible, we, we wanted to be, play our part in this whole, don't wait until you've got a monster pizza before you start being generous, amen? Start where you are, even if it's just a little. And I've got so many stories I could tell, but I was actually reminded of one just this week. We've had our dad, my dad staying with us over the weekend. I happened to overhear a conversation between him and Karen while they were um, clearing up. He asked her about how we'd come by a particular bowl that he'd just dried. She replied that about 20 years ago, she was saving up for a new dinner service, plates, bowls, cups, and saucers, and that we'd been blessed with some money, which meant that she could now go and buy this new dinner service. She just hadn't decided which one to buy. While she was kind of waiting to decide, she heard about another couple within the church who had a serious problem with their roof, and so we decided, you know, it's a no-brainer. Their, their leaky roof being fixed is way more important than our dinner service. So, um, so she gave them the, all, that we, all that she saved up for the dinner service. To be honest, we didn't think any more of it than that. Short while later, she was down visiting um, a couple who worked on one of the American air bases who were moving back to the States and were selling the contents of their house. Karen was there visiting when the wife, Patty, said, Karen... I need to show you something. I was planning to take this back home with me because I love it and it was given to me by somebody who was very special to me. But as I was packing it up, the Lord told me to give it to you. She then proceeded to take out this most beautiful dinner service out of her kitchen cupboard. Karen just stood in the kitchen and cried. And when Patty heard the story, she started to cry too as she realized that what had been a costly emotional decision for her had released such a blessing. Amen, isn't that beautiful? Now, I I love that story of spirit-inspired generosity and obedience. Firstly, and in many ways most importantly, a roof got fixed, which was a miracle answer to a family's prayer. A dinner service was lovingly given which reminded the recipient of God's desire to bless us, even in the seemingly small things of life. And a woman who was learning to hear the voice of God was amazed that her act of obedience had released such significant blessings. Blessed to be a blessing. And I love that story of spirit-inspired generosity, but I also love the fact that that's just one story of multitudes. And it's been happening for decades now. And it's been happening in all our campuses. And maybe you've got a story to tell. And you know, even up to this present moment, it's still going on. And really, I, I, I say that because in this current season, I believe it's time, maybe more than for a long time, for us to step up and, as it were, to see a strengthening of our community of generosity. 
Just this week, um, we were praying in Staff Chapel over a number of prayer request cards. You know, we've got uh, loads of prayer request cards and also praise reports. And one of the team was reading through some praise reports. And she was struck by how many of the answers to prayer were in this whole realm of finances and how many of the answers to prayer was a, were a direct result of the generosity of other people in the church, particularly those in their life group. Meals provided, possessions given or shared, gifts sometimes anonymously or in person giving. Time and time again, they said, I thank God for my life group. I thank God for my Christian friends. Aren't you glad about that, that we're part of an amazing community of generosity? But now's the time like never before. Let's step up because right now, God has blessed you to be a blessing. For some of you, you see, the question is, um, you know, you, you may have not be able to give much, but you may be somebody who's got a bigger bigger portion. And to be honest, there's so much left over. You don't just want to give a little piece. You want to give away a whole slice. Come here, Jim. I want to give you a whole slice. Take a lug of that, my friend. Come on. And it may be, maybe you say, oh, God's stretching my faith. I want to give another half over here. Come on, mate. I want to give you another half a pizza. Come on. <laughs> May the Lord bless you in whatever way you need to be blessed. <laughs> the point being is God wants us to see an increase. Of gen- now, as we give, we don't give to get. We give because we love God. We love people. We want to extend the, people of, uh, the, the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. Something st- starts happening. As we give, because God is a generous God, he's, a, he's way richer than we are. He has this wonderful habit of resupplying us. I love it. Re- he, uh, Proverbs eleven twenty four puts it this way. The world of the generous... This is, we need to get our head around this, gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And we see the same principle into the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, amazing passage where Paul's encouraging the church in Corinth to be generous. And he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then here's the promise, and God is able to make you, to bless you abundantly, so in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then in verse 11, he makes it even clear. He says, you'll be enriched in every way. How many of you up for the Lord enrich you in every way? But not so that you can just have more and more for yourself, and fall into the ditch of materialism. No, he says the reason why he'll enrich you in every way is so that you can be generous on every occasion. Can I say, it really is, as Jesus said it, more blessed to give than it is to receive. God wants to bless us, but he wants to make us a great, great blessing. Amen. And so right now, I just want to invite you to stand and we're going to respond. The first thing I want to do is I want to just to acknowledge, and this is the starting point, that ultimately everything we have comes from God. If we miss this, we'll get messed up in our thinking. Why don't you right now just... Just clench your fists really tight. 
really tight. Feel a bit uncomfortable? It will after a while. Your whole kind of system will tense up. And that's where many of us are at with our finances. It's not just there's a lot of bad news out there. Something internal wants to hold on because we think it's our stuff. We think it's for us to make it on our own. But we have a good, good father. He doesn't want us to do it on our own. So why don't you right now just open up your hand and it's a way of you saying, Lord, it's not all, it's not all mine. It's all yours. It comes from you. And even as you open up your hand, just let your hands relax and your sense, whew. Some of you right now, you've been carrying the weight of trying to make it all work on your own. And yes, you have a responsibility, but to do it in partnership with the Spirit who lives within us. He's the best money manager. So right at now, just say, oh Lord, I release to you the anxiety, the fear and the worry. And I receive now your peace and your help. I'm not going to grab what I have, what I don't have. I'm going to be open-handed. Then with your hands open right now, the Lord will say, probably has been speaking to a number of you. Now as a first step, acknowledging my ownership and your stewardship as an act of trust, as an act of faith, will you begin to faithfully trust me bring the first portion as an act of worship, as an act of thanks, as a way of investing, as a way of trusting me, as a way of honoring my son, as a way of my blessing coming over your life. Will you start? Will you restart? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. I'll tell you, something will happen in the spirit. Something will happen in the natural. But something's going to happen over your life. He wants to throw open the windows of heaven. And if, can I say, if you're in a, in a financial mess right now, as you begin to make that decision, I implore you, make sure you look, look at or get help in the whole of your finances and do it alongside wisdom on getting help on how to steward the whole. But ultimately, it's an act of faith. For some of you, maybe you've been giving, or even regularly, but you know you've not been bringing the whole tithe. Some of us maybe have been tithing for years. Can I say, this is an opportunity for us to put faith in the promises of God. Some of you, you've never done this before, and it's like, you feel like you're stepping off. God says, test me in this, and see if I'll not throw open the windows of heaven. And then with our hands still open, for many of us, we've, we've been walking this way. Maybe you've still got a little, maybe you've got a bit more. I want to pray right now that God will speak to us, not just today, but including today, over this whole season. And that we will be, as it were, the answer to other people's miracles. We'll be those who look for opportunities in maybe little practical ways, maybe large ways. And we will see, as it were, a revolution of generosity Needs will be met. Debts will be paid off. Lives will be strengthened. 
we will be recipients of God's generosity. Lord, we, want, we don't want to be those who hold on so tight. We want to be those who allow you to bless us to be a blessing. We want to be channels of your blessing in Jesus' name. We trust you with your promises, Lord, that you will resupply us, Lord. You'll open the windows of heaven, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for financial revival coming over this church in Jesus' name. Come on, let's just lift up our hands to the Lord. And we're going to sing that song. Christ is my firm foundation. Wherever we're at on the journey, with a little, with a bit more or with a lot, whether this is this first part of the journey or not, whether it feels joyful or a bit, a bit kind of, oh my gosh, this, this feels a lot right now. Let's put our faith in the fact that Christ is our firm foundation. Let's give Him thanks for His trustworthiness. Then we're going to pray.